Welcome to the In the Bag podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Slaughter from uh, gorgeous Houston, Texas. And with me, as always, is Jazzy, James Haldeman. How you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Had a an awesome Masters to watch this weekend. I mean, I guess it was it was a little bit boring on Sunday, uh, but DJ let us have a little bit of little little bit of drama early in the morning. Luckily, he gets a two before he decided to uh, to slam the door on Sung Jay and Cam Smith. But it, it was you know it was a lot of fun fun to watch. We got you know the number one player in the world showing us why he's number one player in the world and kind of putting some some demons and some ghosts behind him. Uh, given that he had, I think it's five 54 hole leads in majors that he had he had not been able to capitalize on and we also got to see some guys that you know haven't seen a lot of augusta national play some really good golf coming down the stretch you know this is at camp smith's i think fourth or fifth trip so he's seen it before but had, had obviously uh, and had a top five but not played at this level i think he was the highest or second highest second place score of all time along with sung jay sung jay's first trip um and didn't really have it ball striking but was amazing around the greens so you know, it, was, it was fun to watch uh, all of that play out, and and I thought you know Augusta was just beautiful in November. Honestly, my favorite day was Thursday. They didn't have any announcers in the Amen Corner section of their website, so you could just kind of watch with the ambiance and natural sound of of Amen Corner, and and that was that was a blast to watch because just getting to see it and, and hear the sounds, you could kind of close your eyes and put yourself there. So it was pretty pretty neat. Yeah, I always hate the week after the Masters because we just went from using an awesome app and awesome resources to having to go back to normal. And that's always such a bummer because the Masters app is just so far more advanced than anything else we have. The US Open's uh, pretty good too, but they're like the class of the field and everything else is very much lagging behind. Yeah, like how they, you know, curate all your starred golfers to uh, a highlight reel basically where you right, can right. Keep, keep up shot to shot what they're doing is super cool uh you know they just they're very innovative and i hope it you know it's really bizarre that there's like no shot tracking data <laughs> that yeah for everything the masters does well i hate that that there's no shot tracking data i mean we we know that dustin johnson was phenomenal across the board we just don't actually have the numbers to back it up but yeah it was uh it's, it's part of a the, little bit disappointing. It's part of the, the appeal mystique. and the mystique of Augusta, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, Sungjae, he had some, like, just incredible pitch shots down in those, like, very low areas, putting it... I know he holed one out, and, right. uh, I mean, which was incredible. I mean, to judge the speed of that just perfectly, I think that was, like, on uh, five or six, I don't know, or... Uh, the par four that's in between those two tough par threes on the on the front nine. Right, right. And, uh, I mean, it was it was incredible. Uh, you know, Cam Smith, you know, spited me uh, to just having just a phenomenal tournament. I mean, it seemed like he wasn't really in trouble all that often. And when he was in trouble, he just made a spectacular shot out of <laughs> out of pine. You know, the uh, the pine straw or right. you know behind a tree or something. It was it was definitely fun to watch. You know, and every I think every Masters tournament brings something different. I mean, we saw some guy cash a bet for, you know, what fifteen hundred to one that Tiger Woods would make a ten or better on a hole, ten or worse on a hole, and and then and then Tiger follows it up by making like five straight birdies. Yeah, it was the uh, first time he'd ever. It was the first time he'd ever birdied out at Augusta, and he also in the same round made the first double digit hole he'd ever ever shot in his career. So it was pretty crazy. Yeah, and that's out of like th- thousands of rounds, like just you know what, uh, just incredible. So you know, again, you always see something new. We had some guys that you know we thought would do well, like Bubba seemed primed to do well and didn't. Uh, could just n- never really get it going. 
Bryson was interesting to watch, but ultimately his either I, I don't know. Like I didn't feel like he played it as aggressively as I suspected he would. I don't know if you got that feeling or not. Uh, yeah, probably not quite as aggressively as I expected him to, but apparently he had tummy aches, so you can't really be that aggressive when you don't feel well the entire round, I guess. Also, like, like I, he should just double down on it next year. I feel like he should just say, no, screw it. Um, I'm like just going to try to like, there's, there's definitely two of the par fours he could try to drive. I feel like. Yeah. I mean the, the 350 yard, um, par four is, is definitely drivable for him. But yeah, I, I, I don't know. Like. Bryson, at this point, like, just makes excuses when he doesn't play that well. And when he does play well, he acts like he's the greatest thing that's ever existed in golf and that he broke the game. So, like, I, I, Bryson is what Bryson is, and he's going to be fun to, to troll on Twitter when he doesn't play well. And people are going to act like golf's never going to be the same every time he goes out and wins, wins because his game's really, really on. I mean, this is a conversation kind of that we had in, in between you and Hatch on after after the tournament finished. And we were kind of talking about where we thought, you know, the the ceilings of of the top golfers were, and we all had for the most part the same five guys. We had we had a little bit of an argument afterwards, but you know, it's DJ, Rory, JT, Bryson, and who was our and, and DJ Rory Brooks, JT Bryson and Brooks were all our top five, and then you know Rom and Xander. And I guess uh, maybe Cantlay's in that group or like a little bit behind them. I think you you would have made an argument for Rom to be uh, in that top five instead of Brooks, but like, well, I think Brooks should uh, should be there with at the very least with Bryson. Oh, sorry, instead uh, of Bryson, instead of Bryson, not Brooks. Yeah, but yeah. So I was listening to some of the the tournament on the radio on Friday, maybe, and yeah, I think it was Friday going into work. And they hadn't. It wasn't the broadcast for the for the Masters on the Golf Channel. They had like some you know, some talk show or whatever going on before. But they were, one thing that they said that was pretty interesting to me was that the one thing that you can do with the longer hitters is make these dog legs, because with the the longer your driver is, the harder it is to curve the ball. Correct. And yeah. so and so they talked about a lot about why. Augusta, you know, in theory, people may be able to do it, but it it just the chances are of you being able to curve some of the dog legs just aren't just aren't going to happen. And maybe maybe at some point the technology with the drivers will overcome that, uh, but I, I don't think we're there yet. Yeah, at this point, drivers are optimized more for hitting the ball longer and straighter than they are for workability. I mean, you'll often see guys when they need to to work something off the tee go to the three wood in the bag because the way it's designed it's it's easier to to hit a you know a draw or a stronger fade or whatever you need so that that's definitely a good point you know the designing courses as guys get longer and start using you know longer drivers adam scott had a bigger one in the bag we know phil maxed out at 48 inches and bryson's been talking about it yeah it's all about course design and and what these places can do to to kind of combat it but you know i think augusta quote-unquote didn't show its teeth more because of conditions than it just got you know overpowered when when, when the when the ball's not moving around on the greens at augusta because it's so wet you know it, it, it kind of leaves itself dangerous to people just throwing darts at flag sticks for the entire week 
Definitely. Yeah, we saw that on on Thursday for sure. Yeah. Overall, uh, let me let me backtrack here. Let me see. Is there well? Is there anyone else you wanna you wanna talk about? I know there's a couple guys that played not more than a couple, but that played last week that will be here this week. But if you had any other, uh, I mean, CT Pan was awesome, right? Like yep. my boy CT Pan. I, I was glad to see him do well. And again, you know, it's always incredible watching him do well because he's just driving the ball like 250 yards, just like a normal schmo, and uh, and competing with the best of them whenever he uh, has that opportunity. And and also, I think his like his wife like caddies for him, right? Yeah, just yeah. Like Lee Westwood. So that's always I get, cool to see too. I, maybe the coolest dichotomy of the the weekend and how Augusta, you know, you can get around it a bunch of different ways. Where Bryson and Bernard Langer were playing together on mm-hmm. Sunday, and you know, Bryson's average driving distance was 300 plus, and and Langer's was two two forty seven. And and Langer out outplayed him by one stroke on the day, so it was it was uh, yeah. There are a lot of different ways to to beat golf courses. Obviously, length helps a lot. Putting shorter clubs in your hand helps a lot. But you can you can be crafty and and play well and get around golf courses a bunch of different ways. Yep, absolutely. So this weekend, we are back in South Carolina. You'll make the short trip over. I'm not exactly how far it is, but I know that Augusta is right on the border of South Carolina. So it can't be that far. So, and we'll be at a, it's, no, it's we're, we're still, a different No, we're still course. in Georgia. Is it in Georgia? Yeah. Oh, is it towards see, Savannah? See, yeah, Sea Island Resort is, is towards Savannah in Georgia. Yeah. Okay. So it's like you're taking like a two-hour trip down south uh, for the RSM Classic. Uh, this course uh, similar to Torrey Pines, have you held at two different golf courses? You have the uh, what the seaside course, and what's the uh, the plantation course, course? Plantation course, yeah. And so, you know, what do we have? What do we know about? I guess if if you know about each of the courses and what kind of golfers and traits are we looking for this weekend? Yes, like you said, we have a, a our first, I think, dual course tournament since the the restart. Like you said. Um... You know, Torrey Pines sees this, Pebble Beach sees this. We always see this um, here in, in Georgia because this is the time of the year it's played, so they split up the first two rounds on two different courses because we have so many guys, they want to get it finished before night comes in. So half the guys to tee off at Sea Island, uh, or sorry, Plantation, uh, the first day, which is uh, different. It's about the same amount of yardage, but it's a par 72, so you get two extra par 5s, which is where you'll see a lot more of the scoring come in. Uh, but they'll only get one round here. And then you'll have the Sea Island uh, Seaside course, which you know is the course we'll, where we'll play uh, three of the rounds for, for each of the guys that make the cut. It's also about 7,000 yards, but it's a par 70. So you'll see a little bit less of the scoring there. It might be a value to check the weather to see you know, what guys are going to be playing at the plantation course in, in the easier conditions, at least for, for cut purposes. And then everybody you know kind of comes, comes back to earth on the last two days but even you know 7,000 yards for a par 70 isn't that much interesting fact i saw on on a website that over 25 percent of scoring for DraftKings happened on uh, i believe it's number 15 which is one of the par fives on the seaside course last year so that that hole will be incredibly important you know, on top of that uh, if you look at, at rick's key stats um, correlations you get driving accuracy uh, and then driving distance is the two most important things here. So 
Uh, I guess it, it technically is a resort course, although we usually think of these as, as the courses kind of in you know Bermuda or, or in the islands when they go go to play there. But this kind of plays like a resort course. Uh, it can it can turn into a pitch and putt. You don't have many super long par fives. I think the the longest one is like 450 yards. You have a couple long par threes, which are a little bit tougher to get. So you'll want guys that are gonna you know at least at least play the par threes even for the week. And I think they'll probably have gained strokes on the field at the seaside course. And then, and then you want people who are going to take advantage of the par fives that come up that, that are going to be able to make birdies there. So I'm going to be looking at driving, putting, birdie or better percentage. And then I, I think it's wrong to ever not look at strokes gained approach on a course. Because I do think guys will be able to play more position golf off the tee and set themselves up for, for second shots here. So I, I took that into account in my model as well. Yeah, I mean, I think that, you know, with anything with these short courses you can play however you want to play. So, you know, if you're Taylor Gooch, you can set up for your 200 yard approach shot. Cause that's like what you're comfortable with. But if you're, you know, someone else uh, like Sam Burns or something, and you want to drive it down there and have a, a 90 yard approach shot, you can do that too. So you can kind of just do really whatever you want and whatever you're comfortable with off the tee or for your, to set up for your most preferable approach shot. Um, so I think that's, uh, you know, that's one thing that's pretty interesting. Looking back on the past winners here, I'd say almost none of them are long hitters, even right. first or runner up. I mean, you have Tyler Duncan, Hal is longer, but not, you know, not, a, not of the longest. Austin Cook is pretty fair off the tee. Hughes, Kins, Kisner, Streb, Kirk, Ganey, Crane, and Heath Slocum round out uh, the winners of this decade. And then you have Webb, Patrick Rogers, J.J. Spawn, uh, Blaine Barber, Kevin Chappell, Will McKenzie, Brandon DeJagong are all guys who have got runner-up in the last five or six years. So, I mean, not a lot of, not a lot of long hitters. Uh, so I think we're definitely – I feel like we're definitely going to be trying to find accuracy and approach guys as opposed to anyone that has any sort of distance off the tee. Yeah, I, I, would, I would 100% agree with that. Um, I, I think I think it's going to be a hit fairways and make putts sort of week. You know, all these guys are not long hitters, and you said some names that we have not heard for quite a while, and, and wouldn't <laughs> be considered wouldn't be considered big names in golf. But they still shot what at least minus sixteen to win. The winning scores over the last five years have been anywhere from mm-hmm. sixteen under to about twenty under. So you're, mm-hmm. you're no matter who wins this tournament, they're going to have to make a lot of birdies. Yeah, so, you know, obviously birdie making is going to be important, but I feel like as with this, I think this tournament's going to be a little different than tournaments in the past because we do have, you know, I think the field is a lot deeper than normal. But at the same time, it's not so heavily stacked that a random person could win this tournament like Robert Streb or something like that that's happened in the past. Is there any guys that were playing last weekend that you think have some things that are going to carry over this weekend, uh, whether that be good or bad? I mean, I'm a little bit concerned about Tyrrell Hatton. He hasn't, I mean, I guess at Houston he kind of turned it around, but he had a weirdly bad round there. Didn't, didn't make the cut last week, struggled a little bit. And I guess in the same vein, you know, Jason Day struggled a little bit last week, which is a little bit concerning. I don't know, I... I I guess the the other guy from last week that didn't play well that I I continue to to think is is probably going to continue to not play well is Brendan Todd. 
Uh, I think he had a big year last year, but I think some of that magic has, has just sort of left him. He's negative everywhere except for putting right now. He's losing almost a stroke tee to green. And I, and I think that you know, it, it's just not... It's disappointing for Brendan Todd, and I, I hope he turns it around, but I, I just haven't seen it in his game yet. I think some, some, something we can take away and somebody to, to look at and be, be excited about this week, I guess it's twofold. Um, and they're priced pretty close to each other. Corey Connors, he, he's been playing really well as of late, last three tournaments. You know, hasn't finished worse than a top 25. His ball striking has been phenomenal. We don't have those stats from the Masters, but we can assume that Corey Connors did not chip and putt his way to a top 10 finish uh, at the Masters at Augusta. And then the other guy, I think, is Dylan Fratelli. He played really, really well last week, and we know he has you know, that sort of top-end talent to, to go out and, and compete in tournaments like the Masters, but he's also shown the capability to pop in these sort of tournaments. And I guess the other guy to be excited about right in that range is Sebastian Munoz. Five five straight tournaments without finishing outside of the top 27. And I think we saw the flashes all all along uh, the year last year, the where you know Sebastian Munoz could be you know phenomenal and, and post those really high top 10 finishes. We haven't seen the consistency that we're seeing right now from him. Uh, since he, you know, got got over the top uh, and got that win at Sanderson Farms, and in last year he finished third here. So I think Sebastian Munoz is actually somebody to be pretty excited about this week. Uh, yeah, no, I agree. Um, I do worry. Not, I don't know if worry is the right word, but he's if he did win or, or you know finished in the top five or something like that, he would be a less traditional person that has done well at this type of event. Um, but. The way he's playing, there's no reason to doubt him. You know, guys that I'm concerned about moving forward uh, from last week to this week, you know, Henrik Stenson, obviously, yeah. is someone. He's missed four consecutive cuts. Uh, Lucas Lover has missed three consecutive cuts, uh, despite having pretty decent track record here, uh, 9th, 36th, 11th. So maybe you throw all the missed cuts out the window. He's just comfortable at this place. Uh, I don't know. Tyler Duncan, last year's champion, two missed cuts. Uh, and then three missed cuts in his last five tournaments. You know, I, I, I don't know what to uh, expect from, you know, I think Hatton, I'm not all that concerned about. Um, this isn't, a, a, you know, we haven't seen Hatton in a lot of fields like this where it's not, a, you know, a WGC or a major or something that's close to a major like the Memorial or something like that. So I think it'll be interesting to see how he approaches this type of event. You know, there, so there's definitely some guys here that, that missed the cut that you, you should worry about, especially guys that are inaccurate off the tee. I think Jason Day also qualifies for that because uh, although he is gaining strokes off the tee, uh, his accuracy is still uh, still an issue, but he may be able to take more three woods here yeah. and, and, and compensate for that. You know, Co- Corey Connors, I think, is someone. Uh, he's finished 10th last weekend uh, and has 24th and 8th in his previous two tournaments prior to the Masters and has a 23rd and a 37th here. Uh, so, I mean, I feel like he, uh, I don't know if he'll be popular because he's surrounded by a bunch of guys who, who may catch people's eyes like Sebastian Munoz or Joaquin Neiman. So he's in an interesting price range, but, um, Shane Lowry might be someone else that is kind of interesting here. He seems to be picking up his approach game and he's finished 28th, 11th, 25th in his last three events including 25th you know at the masters last weekend so there's definitely some interesting guys that that i like going forward or that i think are you know to keep your eye on that would be either you know clubbing up and clubbing down here 
is there anyone, I guess, who, who, who in particular do you think is like uh, their play last weekend is most likely to determine their play this weekend? Uh, I, I think it's probably at the top of the list. I think it's Webb Simpson. I think his game just kind of translates into whatever course he plays. Uh, he's not ever going to be overpoweringly long off the tee, but he's going to be accurate. And then after you leave that tee box, he might be, I'm not going to say he is, but he might be the best player in the world the rest of the way to the hole. And so I think Webb Simpson's game is always going to translate no matter where he goes. It might translate for worse, it might translate for better, but I think this is a week where it definitely translates for better at a place like, you know, Augusta where he had not had a ton of success. You know, he posted a top 10 there and that makes four straight top 20 finishes for him. And so I, I like where Webb Simpson's game is. And, and I think, you know, obviously backed up by the second, third place finishes here the last two years. Uh, this is a course that fits Webb, and, and I think he's just going to be able to plug his game in and, and keep things moving along. Yeah, uh, no qualms here. So let's just jump into the pricing. Obviously, Webb is the most expensive guy here. Similar to last week, we have five guys that are 10000 above. Similar to last week, I'd consider, even for a tournament like this, Webb's price at the top is pretty soft compared to where we've seen it in similar events in the past. So we have Webb at 11-2, Sungjae at 11, Tommy Fleetwood 10-7, Terrell Hatton 10-4, and Russell Henley 10-1. To me, I, regardless of like how I feel about, about him or not, Russell Henley is definitely the most interesting person in this range for me because he has been crushing it this year. Uh, 27th, 3rd, 4th, 29th in his last four events. And he has had good history at one point on this course, a 10th and a 6th, and then he missed a lot, two cuts the you know last two years. So I don't know what to make of that. I think Russell Henley is a better golfer than whatever he was in 2020 or in 2019. So, uh, you know, I, I think uh, maybe you just throw those out and you're, and you're going off the course. Uh, but I also just am concerned that he may not have the upside of the rest of these guys i don't know what, what's your feeling about this this top group it's it's a weird one yeah it's definitely a weird one i mean we get you know tommy fleetwood who apparently jumps two thousand dollars in a weaker field because he finished 19th at the masters and could have been higher than that he kind of fell on sunday but hasn't really done anything outside of that in a long time you know Terrell hadn't missed the cut last week but he's obviously in the class of this field so he deserves to be priced up here but how, how much do you trust him uh, coming into this week uh, sung jm jumped almost four thousand dollars off the back of a you know pretty awesome finish at the masters but he had been pretty pedestrian leading up until that tournament uh you know webb simpson makes sense and i agree i think given the the course and the field and the fit He's uh, his pricing's probably a little soft. I I would be willing to pay up to eleven five probably for Webb Simpson, and then you get like Russell Henley. His, I guess has earned this, right? You know, fourth and third in phenomenal fields at Zozo and, and CJ Cup, and then a, a solid finish at Shriners in twenty seventh, where he you know had a chance to finish much much higher there. Houston, he never really threatened to do much, but still posted a top thirty finish there and was was pretty solid. So I think he's earned this pricing. How low can he go here, I guess, is is really the question. Because we know you're going to have to go pretty low here to win it. He's been the best iron player on, on tour you know, since we turned the calendar to 2021, which isn't a huge sample size, but it's enough to say that you know he's striking the ball really, really well. His putting's been positive. 
I think it was a uh, it was a little worse at Houston, and that might have been you know what kind of held him back a little bit there. But I, I think Russell Henley has earned it. I think these are the the. It seems weird to say Russell Russell Henley's earned you know this top five pricing over you know Fitzpatrick or English or Day or, or Ustazen, but I think these are the five guys that kind of make sense you know where we are, and, and you know I I think the one guy I'm going to avoid I, for sure is Tommy Fleetwood, and it's not you know, I think he's overpriced, but I also think Tommy Fleetwood just doesn't come out and win tournaments where you have to go eighteen twenty under to win it. That's just not really who he is. He plays. Tougher courses better and, and puts himself in contention places like that. So it's it's not really a Tommy Fleetwood week for me this week. And I think I'm going to pass on Hatton this week as well. You know, the other three guys, if, if you want to play them, I, I don't have a, a problem with any of them. But I do think Webb's the best play in this section. Yep. Uh, no questions there uh, or no, no qualms with any of that. I, I like Webb the most. Uh, I would definitely fade, fade Fleetwood. I think you, you nailed it there. Uh, Sungjae, I think, ownership will be pretty interesting. He may have... I don't know. He may have the highest upside. I'm not sure about that, though. I, I do like Webb's upside quite a bit because I think he can, he can... He always has the possibility of just putting, you know, seven straight shots within seven feet right. of the hole at any, at any I mean, given if, moment. If you look so, at, if, um, at betting markets right now, Webb is... What is he? He's basically winning the tournament like eight eight to nine percent of the time which and he's better than double the odds of Tyrrell Hatton right now and so his pricing it just it's based on that and given the fact that DraftKings kind of follows betting markets shouldn't be as close as it is to everybody else he should be closer to 11.5 yeah I think if I was if I was going to just try to be different at the top i would go with hatton yeah i think that's fair i'm not sure i'm not sure what his ownership will be i think it'll be like i don't know it could be like third but i don't i think so much of the ownership is going to be on web that that if he's 12 it wouldn't surprise if he's like 12 or 13 percent owned or right. something like that i, I could definitely see that because i i mean i i think and we'll talk about this when we get down there but uh i feel like i'm going to start rosters with web or i'm going to go down a little bit lower to like Harris English and so if if other people are thinking that same way because I think you could build a pretty balanced roster here given where you know some guys have been playing well are priced currently and so I, I think given that fact a lot of people might go well you know Hatton and, and Henley are fine but how much am I losing going down to Harris English or whoever and you might get some some lower ownership on those guys down at the bottom it might give you an advantage with Hatton yep and so the you know you, you uh, mentioned this next group. So the next group we'll go from the uh, the upper nines to the mid eights here because I kind of feel like these guys. Whenever I was picking out my lineups or trying to figure out what I was wanting to do, I kind of had all these guys grouped together. And so that goes from Ma- Matthew Fitzpatrick at ninety nine hundred to Brian Harmon at eighty five hundred. It's not my favorite grouping of guys, but there are definitely guys that are interesting. I mentioned Corey Connors earlier. I'm not sure. The problem with Corey Connors, is I think you're already paying for his upside here yep. at 8,900. But I, but I do like him quite a bit, um, or I, I like where he's playing anyway. Uh, I think someone I keep coming back to. He's not really my favorite golfer, but Jason Callcrack has just been playing very well. Uh, the one issue I have with him is that this is he's just this isn't the mold of a of a course that in the past has has that he would fit. Um, but he's just playing really good golf right now. 
And so it's kind of hard to deny him that. Uh, and then I think that the complete wild card, and I still think he'll be amazingly highly owned, and he should be, is Joaquin Neiman, uh, because he's finished 13th, 6th, and 17th before his bout with COVID. And uh, I think he's poised every bit to win this tournament. Yeah, I, I think the the upper range here I really like with, with Harris English. This is a, a Harris English type track. He'd been playing, you know, pretty solid twenty eighth and tenth at Zozo, fourth of the US Open. I know he missed the cut at Shriners. But again, if we think back to Shriners, that was a seven under cut and Harris English was like five or six under. He's most likely gonna make the cut at RSM if he shoots five or six under over the first two days again. So I, I like that. Jason Day, you know, worries me a little bit. Uh, but, you know, last time he played in this sort of, like, upper, mid, or mid-level field, he finished 7th at Houston and, and wasn't a tournament we usually see him at. So it was, you know, fun to see Jason Day at a tournament where, you know, he's kind of the cream of the crop. But didn't play great last week. Like he, and he's a little inaccurate off the tee at times, even though he's long. But like you said, it might just give him a chance to hit more hit more woods off the tee and, and play a little more accurately. Uh, I think... Louis Oosthuizen, you know, every time it feels like we're supposed to see him in a tournament like this, he ends up WDing before it starts. It'll it'll be interesting to see if, if he even <laughs> starts this tournament, right? Like, he was supposed to play, I think, Shriners, withdrew from that, uh, and has ended up only kind of playing these these bigger events recently. So, I, I don't know. Louis Oosthuizen interests me if he does play. I don't think he's, he's a guy I'm going to target. You mentioned Shane Lowry. I find it interesting. He's been much better on approaches of late, which is not really you know Shane Lowry's game. So maybe he's he's peaking right now. Neiman also highly interesting, just based off the fact he's coming off COVID. But you know, it, DJ didn't seem to affect him much. Not that I'm saying Neiman's DJ, but I, I don't even know if, if Neiman was symptomatic. I, I just know he you know he obviously had to had to quarantine right. for 14 days. Like the Scheffler thing was much more concerning because he was out like a month. Right. And Neiman, even though he hadn't played in two months, Neiman was practicing and whatnot and doing what he would normally do to prepare a tournament up until like the day, you know, two days before the Masters. So I, I'm, if he's fine, then I'm like not all that worried by him just like skipping right, out. Right, right, yeah. I, I, my guess is if he's back already, he probably was asymptomatic or did not have particularly intense symptoms and so you're probably not missing much there and i imagine he was playing quite a bit but you know if he if he continues his trend he's been playing really really high level golf and his putting has come around which which is great for him and it means he's got a better chance to win tournaments than he did you know kind of last year where you know you i've said it a bunch of times but you know you'd see his shot tracker and say oh walking neiman 183 yards to seven feet and then you know two putt for par which is a little frustrating uh, for for you as the, the the guy that's wagering on him, and then I I think that whole range from Neiman to Fratelli is incredibly interesting, right? So you have Neiman, who's a little bit of a question mark, Munoz, who feel Munoz and Fratelli, who feel like wild cards. I think Fratelli still is, but I think Munoz is a little more consistent than we think he is now, just because of his performances last year. And then I think you have Connors, who's like a pretty safe top forty play this week. And I, but I think all four of those guys make the cut, and it'll be interesting to see where they they end up finishing collectively. Uh, Jason Kokrak, I'm off. I think he's still getting pricing from that um, that win at the CJ Cup at Shadow Creek. I don't think that's particularly indicative uh, of who Jason Kokrak is as, as a golfer. He missed the cut last week. He's gaining one one and a half strokes per round putting, which just it, that's not Kokrak. And like you said, this is not a, a course that particularly fits his skill set. 
you know, Kiz had a weird week last week, was was pretty bad off the tee, pretty bad around the greens. Two things that, you know, don't matter as much this week is a pretty wide green complex as far as square footage. And he has some some pretty solid course history here the last last few years. Uh, and then you get down to, to to Brian Harmon, who I think once you get down into the lower mid eight thousands is is my favorite play. He's been just playing really solid golf as of late. You know, he hasn't really spiked anything, no top tens. But his last six tournaments, no worse than than top 38. And his last three years here, he hasn't finished worse than 32nd. And he's left-handed, so I'm always going to give love to my lefties. Yeah, so I, I, I'm i with you on Kokrak. Um, I think, I don't know, see, like, I'm just in a, I feel like I'm just going to end up fading a lot of these yeah. guys. Like, I, I, I don't want to play Kokrak, and, I, and so I'm, I'm probably going to find a way to not play him. Kisner, I think I'm just going to fade because I just didn't like how he played last weekend, and I think he's going to be very popular given his course history. And I am concerned. I'm just concerned where his game is at, and so I will probably fade him. And then Harmon, I just have that feeling like he is like this is his Adam Shank missed the cut. Yeah, tournament. Brian Harmon's a much better golfer than Adam Shank, though. Sure. Uh, it's just, well, he's made like what this 11 straight. Yeah. Cuts I, yeah. He's in like so, the top five I mean, or top two or three, I think in, in cut streaks right now. I'm going to wait and see what Harmon's, I may, I may reevaluate Harmon and see what his ownership is. If he's like 10% owned, then I think it's a great play. If he's like 20% owned, I probably will, will not play him. So that's, that's my view of that. Yeah. But I, I mean, I think to me, if I was going to, if I was going to be different or something like that, I think I would go with. Lowry, yeah, um, as my guy here. I think he has, in terms of perhaps being the lowest owned and has the highest upside. I think that would probably be my guy. Although I think Matthew Fitzpatrick could do well here, but I just, I mean, he's got to win the tournament to pay himself off, and and I'm just, you know, I don't want to make that bet. Yeah, I mean, Matthew Fitzpatrick obviously has winning upside. He's won, I think, five or six times at this point on the European Tour. He just hasn't brought it to the to the PGA tour yet and and won a tournament and you know I, I guess you know everybody is kind of on him as a as a long shot in majors maybe maybe it's somewhere like this where the field's a little bit more depleted that he comes out and gets his first one I know he, he's had a couple of chances he's had at least one fifty four hole lead and so he, he's definitely good enough to win a golf tournament and, and maybe he is the the right place to look to start a lineup because he's been playing much better with his irons as of late, and he struggled with the putter, which is, you know, kind of the opposite of what we expect with, with Fitzpatrick, and we know the putters are, are a little more streaky and a little more random. So maybe that's something that turns around for him this week. I could see that. I could see all of that. And then moving on to the next section, I say we go from 8,400 to 7,000, and I think this is turning into my favorite section. I think I'm just going to end up with a lot of guys here. I think I'm the way I'm viewing it now in my head is I'm probably going to start with Webb and then end up with every other player in this section. My favorite plays, or we'll, we'll start, uh, this goes from Justin Rose at 8,400 to Will Gordon at 7,000, but there's three or four, five, six guys at 7,000, which is kind of odd uh, for them to kind of cluster like that on uh, on a number. But my favorite play here is Cousin Sam Burns. Uh, in terms of he's like Webb on steroids in terms of the driver where he he's accurate and yeah. long his approach game 
like you said, you know, in terms of ball striking at the Houston Open, he was leading the field in ball striking, which means that he outgained Dustin Johnson. Uh, and he's just been like cold with the putter, but traditionally the putter is one of his uh, best weapons. So if he turns that around, I could very easily see him winning this tournament. Um, then the second, my second favorite guy in this grouping is Dennis McCarthy, you know, my boy, Dennis, uh, who his real name is Denny, but is, he doesn't wait, wait, uh, his name is actually Denny, not Dennis. I hate you so much. <laughs> <laughs> Denny has been plain awesome. He's, he's he's like we've talked about how he's fixed his his swing, went to a different swing coach, and he's been gaining strokes and approach and off the tee since that happened. Combined with the fact that he's the best putter on tour, uh, I just I love what you're going to get from him, especially in a course where par three birdie or better percentage I think was like the number one most correlated stat. And he's just excellent at that. Um, so that that's something I very much enjoy. And then my kind of uh, shot-in-the-dark guy that I think will be low-owned but also has a, uh, a decent – I'm not sure he'll win, but I think he – it wouldn't surprise me if he finished top 10 – is uh, Taylor Gooch, who's been playing pretty phenomenally. Fifth, 35th, fourth, uh, his last uh, three tournaments out, and a 37th with a miscut in between. So four of the last five tournaments, he's done T37 or better. Finished 23rd here last year. Uh, has really picked up his around the green game uh, where he's gaining almost half a stroke. Um, but his off the tee and approach games have been uh, not so good. But typically, he's one of the best, not one of the best, but he's certainly near elite ball striker. And so I suspect that he's going to pick that up at some point. And uh, I, I don't understand why he can't do it here. Yeah, I have no problem with any of those plays. I think... I like Sam Burns a lot as well. I'm worried he's going to eat up a lot of ownership uh, this week. I, I think a lot of people are going to be on Denny and Sam Burns, which, you know, I, I'm a, I'm more okay playing chalk down in this range, uh, obviously, than you are. I, I, I don't have much of a problem with it, but I do think, you know, if you're looking to differentiate, those guys are, are going to be tough uh, to do it with down here, especially if you, you own web up top, you just kind of got to be okay with chalk at that point. I, I think, I think it, there are a lot of really, really interesting plays and I, I agree with you. I think, I think this, this section is, is pretty awesome. You know, you have Doc Redman who struggled in Houston. He just didn't, sh- didn't have a great ball striking week, which is not something we, we expect to see from, from Doc consistently. And so his price dropped quite a bit down to 8,000. Uh, I imagine he'll be chalky, but you know, he's like, since the restart, he's in the top 15 total in, in strokes gained. Uh, if you, you know, cut it out for sample size, like Lee Westwood's ahead of him, JJ Spawn's ahead of him, but they've only, they played less than 10 rounds. You know, he'd be even a little bit higher. So I like Doc Redman. I think you get a little bit lower. Uh, you know, HV3 is incredibly interesting. Two, two of his last three starts have been top 15 finishes in this field, you know, over the last, like, Three four months, he's fourth in total strokes gained, uh, being a tour average putter, which is which is great for HV three. Uh, he j- actually comes in just ahead of Webb Simpson there, and so I think I think he's incredibly interesting. A guy that uh, you know surprised me strokes gain wise that maybe has been playing as well uh, as he has been in his career since the last time he won the Masters is is Zach Johnson, and this is kind of a a Zach Johnson type track where it's a second shot course. He's not particularly long off the tee, but he hits fairways. So 
maybe this is the week you play Zach Johnson and you can kind of differentiate yourself there while other people, you know, kind of live with uh, Denny McCarthy and Sam Burns. Uh, again, we don't see Lee Westwood in tournaments like this very often, uh, but he definitely interests me here. And then Sepp Straka has been playing, you know, pretty good golf as of late, finished fifth in Houston, uh, 21st uh, week before. The problem is, last two years a year, he hasn't missed the cut, so that scares me a little bit. Um, so I'm not quite sure what to make of him. I think I'll probably just hop. This is going to be the first week in a while that I'll have a roster that I probably don't have Sepp Straka in. You know, we get we get Chez after a solid major or a Masters performance, and I think this is, of course, he, he probably sets up four pretty well. Already mentioned HV3. Cam Davis down here at 7,200 is probably going to be incredibly chalky. He's coming off just a weird performance in Houston where he held a lead and then and then ended up falling all the way to 68th on a bad Sunday, I think he had. I mean, I think it was bad Saturday and Sunday, but, you know, point still stands. Um, and then, you know, you keep getting low. You can't play all these guys, obviously. Henrik Norlander has pretty re- remarkable course history here. Two top fives in his last four starts. Uh, he's an incredible ball striker. Um, but, you know, his last two starts have also been missed cuts. Now you get down to Christopher Ventura, who I, you know, he's kind of in that Sam Burns mold, but no irons. You know, he can bomb it. He's pretty accurate. And then he's a, he's a really, really good putter. Made the cut after, after a difficult performance, you know, down in Bermuda, uh, at Houston. But, you know, I, I still think we have some, some time to see exactly what he is. But I, I think this, this section is really interesting. Uh, I think one of the, any of these guys that we've talked about can come out and win this golf tournament. And I think that would really make your roster if they did, because yeah, I think I think you can pencil Webb in for a top ten, top five finish, uh, and I think if that's where you want to start your rosters, you're definitely doing that, uh, and you can get some win equity down here for sure to help back what back Webb up at the top. Yeah, uh, I think I, I will probably wait to see what ownership does, but I I think you're right uh, in terms of where the ownership is going to kind of lie here. I'm looking at it more more so, you know, there's. Three other guys, I think I, I want to give a shout out here. I, I don't, I, I you know, and I also don't mind your your uh, your Revy pick. One thing that worries me, I mean, maybe his approach game is getting back to where it was, what la- beginning of last year, where he was, you know, winning the Phoenix Open uh, or the Waste Management, and you know that that kind of propelled him. Uh, but I'm not, or two yeah, years two ago, years, I guess. Yeah. But I, I I don't know. I'd say yeah, huh? two years. Two, two years ago and so I'm not I, I, I don't know though um, it, it, it is a shorter course so you, you feel like it would set up better for him but um, but we'll see I mean it, it's certainly encouraging coming off that master's performance and he's you know in the new year he's gaining 0.9 uh, strokes uh, on approach so that's also encouraging um, you know I think Harold Varner will be extremely uh, uh, highly owned uh, so I probably will not play him despite the fact that I do think he is a, a decent play here uh, as well. Uh, but the, the three guys that I, th- I think maybe some be, maybe interesting pivots, Austin Cook, uh, a previous champion here, has a second and 24th in his last two tournaments uh, overall and is gaining strokes across the board in the new year. So I like that. Um, I, I, 
he may be chalky. He may not. I'm not sure. I'm kind of, uh, I mean, I think in my opinion, I, the way that I see it, I see a lot of guys that can be highly owned here, but like you said, you can't play everyone in this range. So there are people that are going to slip through the cracks and I'm looking to take advantage of those people that do, because I like so many guys in this particular range. Um, another guy that I think kind of fits your Denny McCarthy mold. Uh, but I think honestly, I think probably has more talent than Denny McCarthy is Maverick McNeely. Uh, he's finished twenty. He's finished top twenty-one in three of his last four tournaments. Uh, he, he only finished fifty-third year last year, but I think he's a better golfer than what he was last year. Uh, he can definitely get hot with the putter, and at seventy-three hundred, I think that's an interesting pivot from from some of these guys. And then I think if the safest option in this entire section is Emiliano Grillo, I mean the guy just turns out. 21 to 34th every weekend <laughs> yeah, I, yeah and you know you, you know you're getting the ball striking and you know you can't putt so i i don't mind that uh play either depending on what it is that you are looking for right yeah if you're just looking for somebody to make a cut i don't have a problem with griot mcneely is interesting right so he kind of will go as far as his irons will take him we know his putter's phenomenal and he can you know have a top 10 performance on the back of that but when he is a tour average or better player with the irons over the course of a week, he's going to finish in the top twenty. Like there's just no doubt about it because he's he's he hits the ball so far and he's I've I've heard people say I think it might have been a, a Butch Harmon quote that said he thought he was the best putter on tour, and so he he always is going to have a chance to come out and win a tournament. It's just a matter of where is he going to hit his irons that week? How good is he going to be there? How many fairways is he going to be able to find? Because we know he hits it a long way, but he's inaccurate this driver. But the past couple weeks, he's kind of put it together, and he's he's gained strokes with his iron since we we started the 2021 season. So, you know, McNeely is a good find that, that was a name I kind of missed when I did my uh, initial look-through. So, so good call there. Oh, all right. Well, I always like to get, uh, get, get props from James. Um, I think the... Uh, the last guy I'll mention actually in this group as just someone else uh, is, and I think I think he'll actually will be pretty popular. Is Neesmith. Uh before his last tournament, he had made three three straight cut, cuts and finished fourteenth here last year at seven thousand. And I think he's from Georgia, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, and you know, this just seems like the type of a type of tournament that he would do well at. Yeah, for sure. It'll be interesting to see uh, Will Gordon, what his ownership ends up coming up as. He's made his last two cuts and not finished particularly well, but, um, you know, down around the 64, 6,500 price range, he was, you know, hitting like 15, 16% owned. So it'll be interesting now that he's been bumped up in price a little bit uh, to, to see where he comes in ownership-wise. I'm not advocating playing him. I just think that'll be something that'll be interesting to look out for. Yeah, uh, I will definitely not play him. I, I, I don't think this is a course. No, game. no, it's absolutely not a little court course. I, like I said, I'm not advocating playing him. Just interested to see what the ownership looks like. He did finish 10th here He did, which though. is weird. It's a, definitely. Um, yeah, and, and Naismith is actually uh, from North Augusta, which is just across the border of on, on the South Carolina side. Oh, of okay, interesting. Okay. So he's definitely from, yep. from the area. Um, there, are a lot of, so, there are a lot of Georgia uh, then, guys on the PGA tour, like yes. went to Georgia from Georgia, I guess ACC. He went to, he went to okay. South Carolina, yeah, yeah, yeah. but yeah, I mean, same, same thing. And then in these 69 and below guys, I do not want to live in this range. Um, you know, we had, uh, they're, I mean, I don't know. It, it depends what you want in your lineups. I think if you want to go high upside, 
risk it for the biscuit kind of guy. I think Patrick Rogers is your man in this range. Um, it's got a ten, second and a tenth, but he's also got two missed cuts and a 44th. Uh, he has not been playing well recently. He has one, he has a, an 11th place finish, but outside of that hasn't finished higher than 46th in combination with three missed cuts. Um, is the type of course where he can drive and putt, but he hasn't been putting well. And so, uh, you know, I don't know what to make of that. Uh, Bo Hostler is someone who I typically like in these island type courses, but uh, has does not have a good course history here, 100th and 70th. So that makes me question that. Uh, Ryan Armour may have may be the highest owned guy in this in this ownership range because uh, or in this uh, dollar amount range because he's got twenty third, fifteenth, seventeenth, or thirty seventh, thirty sixth his last four years here. Uh, that is the course your uh, your Ke- Kelly Craft play of the week, and um, I think you know I, the guy that honestly I would most likely to play in this range would be uh, your your Canadian your Canuck. Uh, Michael Gligich, uh, who is 37th, 27th, and 11th his last three tournaments, uh, really hitting the ball off the tee well uh, and putting the ball extremely well, 0.75 strokes gained in the new year, uh, the 2021 season. Missed a cut here last year, but has only made one appearance, so I don't know how much we can take from that. But that would be, I think, my, I think that would be who I would play in this range. Uh, I, and honestly, I, I would probably play Ryan Armour because... I think you just close your eyes and you play guys of course history. Once you get down below, uh, you know, once you dip into this. Yeah, range. I think I think once you get down here, you're looking for guys that play the course well, feel comfortable here, and have one you know particular thing that you're looking for that they do pretty well. And if you can find that, then you're happy. And so, you know, our armor's fine. He's he's your he's your course history guy. Clearly feels comfortable going around this track, and and I have no problem with that. Uh, I guess if I'm going to target guys down here, there are a handful, and I don't really like anybody else. Michael Gligich is where I'll start. I've been on him for the last three weeks. I think he's played, and he hasn't let me down. You know, he's kind of tore average around the greens and on approach, but he's he's incredibly accurate and relatively long driving, and he's a really, really good putter. And so I think you can do worse than that with Gligich, or do worse than Gligich for, you know, 6400 uh, come up a little bit in price to 6600 you know, Chesson Hadley is another guy with you know, decent-ish course history. Last time out, we also saw him finish 16th. Uh, and, and like I said, you're, you're looking, f- like I said, I'm looking for somebody that has decent course history, which, uh, you know, he has. He's made three of the last five cuts here. And he fits something that I'm looking for, which this year his iron play has not been that great. Uh, but, you know, he's really really good at hitting fairways he's not that long only like 286 or 287 off the tee but then taking advantage of of the the good good fairway lies and hitting good iron shots and he's been a pretty decent putter so far this year so i think at some point Chesson hadley's gonna pop in a tournament i'm trying to get out in front of it and i think this could be a week he does it doug gim is somebody uh who's been playing really well as of late he's gaining strokes all the way across the board at 6700 uh, not not you know not sure what you're going to get from him on a week to week basis, but I definitely think Doug Gim is is worth a look. Um, I'm interested if people hop off Adam Shank now that he's missed a cut. Uh, just I definitely just, think they just will. Just curious to see if it happens. Um, I probably won't. I'll probably also be hopping off of him, but it might be a good time to to hop back on and and ride it out. But the last two guys I like up here uh, are both 6900. I'm interested in both Patrick Rogers and James Hahn. Uh, Patrick Rogers, uh, you have to accept uh, 
maybe the widest range of outcomes in the tournament. You know, he, he has he has the talent to go out and hit a bunch of fairways and hit the ball 320 yards and then hole every putt from inside of 15 feet for a week, right? Like, that that is something Patrick Rogers can't conceivably do, and he can go low. He's shown that, like you said, he, you know, he's sandwiched miscuts uh, with a second and a tenth place finish here over the course of the last four years. And then for consistency's sake right now, this might be the new Adam Shank down here uh, is James Hahn. He's gaining seven strokes ball striking per round right now. He's green all the way across the board in every uh, strokes gain stat. Three of his last four uh, starts have been you know top ten finishes, and then he had a fiftieth place finish at Houston. That's I that's about as much as I can ask for. Once you get down here into to this section, if James, I, I also though expect James Hahn to be pretty highly owned. So we'll see where his ownership lies, and if it's if it's not too high, then I I, I might go with him. Um, but but if it ends up being pretty high, I'll I'll venture elsewhere. All, all five of those guys I mentioned, I, I I kind of like playing down here, and and I, I'm fine ending my roster with them and pivoting. Yep, you know I I think I I like a, a more narrow range of guys. Than, than you do, um, but um, you know, it's always a crapshoot down there, and you just you're just trying to find five or six guys that if you need to have that guy and go that low, that you can, but it's not necessary. And I'm not sure that it's necessary. Like I, I was building lineups with Webb and not dipping below, you know, seventy two, seventy three hundred. So I think it's certainly possible to build one without going to one of those guys. Um, which would be my preference, but it's again, who's, um, it's just who's your second guy in those lineups? Honestly, <laughs> like yeah. Doc so, so if if you want to get one of like Neiman Munoz somewhere in that high eight thousand, yes. you're gonna have to you're gonna have to drop down here. But yeah. if you if you're okay with living at like you know eighty three, eighty four hundred as your second most expensive guy, then you definitely don't have to. Yeah, it's how you feel about the the nine thousand range, and I'm not. I think I think if I play anyone in the nine thousand range. Um, with Webb anyway, it'll be Neiman. Um, otherwise, um, I think I will dip all the way down to, to the 8,000 yeah, range. On to the betting market. I think that there's some stuff here that's pretty interesting. You know, Webb is obviously by far and away, uh, you know, the favorite here. Two things that I found kind of interesting, though. Uh, one, at least on Bovada anyway, uh, I, I found typically Bovada has like the most earliest anyway i know like we we both use bookmaker and and because uh, they have a little better odds and and they uh i like it and I, honestly i like their matchup stuff so but webb is a first round leader is plus 2000 even though he's only plus 850 to win i kind of i kind of like that um yeah i mean he's not he's not always uh, the fast he start definitely, guy but he, he definitely has that capability but some other guys in terms of first round your first round leaders uh Harold Varner plus nine thousand. That I really like. And and, and Denny McCarthy plus seventy five hundred. Woof, that's fun. If numbers I still there. have a body, um, sign me up for that Varner play. Yeah, I, I think I don't know. Sometimes bookmakers, the first round leaders on the bigger tournaments, they for sure do. But um, in terms of just straight out betting, um, the guys that interest me here, I mean Doc Redmond fifty five to one. He's certainly more talented than that, and that's pretty he's, surprising he's to me. He's sixty six on bookmaker. Um, I mean that's crazy. Uh, Jason Day thirty three to one. Um, I mean it's just a little lower than what his odds were to win the Masters. Yeah. Then you get a significantly worse field. <laughs> so that's pretty interesting to me. Um, I mean, so see. so it, it, 
it's pretty interesting on Bookmaker, right? You only have two guys under 20 to 1, which, you know, we've played tournaments with, you know, a few big names in them that have, have had, you know, four, five, six guys under 20 to 1 right now. And that's Hatton and, and Webb. And outside of that, you know, you immediately jump like Sungjae's 25 to 1, which seems like a, a pretty solid number to me, uh, given what he just did last week. You know, the whole Neiman, Munoz, uh, Lowry section are all around, you know, Usti are all around 36 to 1. Get... Yeah, I don't I don't love that section. I, I, I thought I would like it better, but so, I don't so, like, it's okay. I don't know that I'm going to bet Neiman, but I really like Munoz at 38 to 1. I, I, he, he just looks like a complete player right now who can do everything. And I've got to get it out of my head that he's the Sebastian Munoz that just like happened to pop. And now he's like, he, he is a quality PGA Tour player. And I've kind of got to cement that into my head and, and, and make sure I'm I'm betting and, and playing him like he is, right? I hope uh, Munoz and Neiman as a little who's the best South American golfer rivalry I can uh, yeah that'd be for. cool yeah I mean Cam Davis is is 125 That's to a great bet. on here to win like I don't think he'll you know I don't, I'm not going to play him because I think he's like doesn't set up well but he could definitely win yeah. this tournament and. And that's crazy to yeah, me. Yeah, Cam Davis is going to win so, a tournament. Yeah, and so uh, I'm going to be on that. Yeah, if, if if Cam Davis wasn't as long as he is, Christopher Ventura would have been my my long odds guy at 135 to one. But it, I'm definitely going to go with Cam Davis at the at the top end of my uh, top end of my card at 125 to one. I think uh, so. What's yeah. Sam Burns on Bavadi? He's 52 on Bookmaker, which is okay. Same. It's 50. Yeah. Yeah, so right same there. with Varner. I really like the numbers on both of those guys at 52, right? Like, again, these guys are going to win golf tournaments at some point in their career. Presumably, they have that sort of talent. And they're probably not going to do it at, you know, I don't know, RBC Heritage or Waste Management Phoenix Open, where a lot of bigger names come and play because they're pretty well-known tournaments and that sort of stuff. But they, they might do it at RSM where, all, you know, your only guys under 20-1 to 1 are Tyrrell Hatton and Webb Simpson. So I think these are the tournaments where you kind of got to, you know, lean into these guys. Doc Redman's going to win at some point, you know, that sort of stuff. So uh, I, I I like these guys at like 50 to 1, 66 to 1 this week to as bets because I think they have a good chance to win the tournament. I mean, I like a lot of these guys, like the, the range where I said I didn't like it for the winning. I like it a lot more for like top 20s. Okay. You get, you get uh, let's see, Denny McCarthy, Doc Redman. Sam Burns all at thirty to one, or I'm sorry, three to one to finish top twenty. Yeah, I like that. I like that a lot. That 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 invites my eyes more than betting them like in the thirties to mm-hmm. to win. Like I I think their their odds should be a touch a touch longer in in my opinion. Uh, there, um, Webb to finish top ten is minus one hundred five. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like I said, I think, I think that top ten bets a lot. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm only laughing because I'm thinking about doing it. Um, uh, there's not, a, not a ton here. Maverick Neely at eight, eight to one uh, to finish top ten. I, I don't know if that's high enough for me. Um, Doc Redman at six to one though. That's pretty good. Denny and and Denny McCarthy at six to one and Sam Burns six to one. So maybe I'm looking more for those to finish top ten, top twenty, and then you have, uh, 
you know, I think I'll, I'll probably stick to some some shorter odds. The way I'm looking at this right now, I think I think you, I'm gonna bet. I will probably bet Webb to win because I think he will win. Um, but then I think I'll go with some longer range guys, uh, like what we talked about, like Cam Davis and stuff like that to to round that out, and then have a couple pokes at the first round leader. You know, with Varner and Denny McCarthy, guys who notoriously just get out to these. Uh, these hot streaks at the beginning of tournaments. Yeah, I, I like. That. I think that's a good way to to set up your book. I think. I think those top twenty bets, top ten bets, uh, are, are are really really good. Um, I do miss not having them on on bookmaker, you know, for every tournament like we did on Bovada, but it's kind of made up for for having better matchup type stuff, which aren't out yet, unfortunately. Yeah, what are they, what are they, the matchups on yet. bookmaker? The only matchup that is currently sitting on bookmaker for golf is uh, Peyton Manning and Steph Curry versus Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley. Um, and in case you're wondering, despite Phil Mickelson being a professional golfer, Peyton Manning and Steph Curry are currently favored on the money line, minus 162 against uh, Phil Mickelson and Charles Barkley. Makes, it doesn't oh, make man. a lot of sense. I mean, so Steph, I guess, is like, you know, pretty good, yeah, obviously. Steph's, Steph's scratch, he, right? He would shoot probably, in a professional tournament, a PGA tournament, he probably would shoot... 80-ish. Uh, at, at, a tournament, at a tournament like this, he'd probably shoot like 10 over. Yeah, I think, I think he'd shoot in the 80s, low 80s, high 70s. And, and two, uh, I'm, that's like in two rounds, I think he would shoot like 10 over. Oh, okay. So they're saying, like, so they're saying Barkley drags down Phil... That I much. think that's what they're saying. Yeah, man, I don't know. The thing, Phil, Phil is just going to be so much better than everyone, though. I mean, like, yeah, I, I don't, I, I don't know I don't what know. like how far Steph hits what the ball the and that sort of stuff. Because like, it's not like Peyton impressed me very much in that other match. That that he like he and Steph are so equal that they should be able to take down Phil Mickelson by themselves. So I, I'm not, I'm not sure what it is. I just thought it was weird that they were favored in this thing, given that Phil Mickelson is a professional golfer Steph I mean Steph's probably better than Peyton oh that's what I'm saying yeah yeah, I think Steph is far better than Peyton what I'm saying is that like Peyton just didn't really impress me that much in the in the one with Tiger if you gave me Steph and Romo it's not even close yeah that that would would make sense because they're they're probably Romo's probably a little better than Steph but they're probably yeah Romo almost made the cut what what does Romo shoot because Romo goes and he plays he plays uh, the Colonial, yeah. right? That's like what he nor- and and he shoots what mid seventies. He shot like he almost made the cut. Like uh, he almost made ago, the right? cut at the U.S. Open uh, or he was last like four year, four under in the first round of the U.S. Open before he blew up. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, at a tournament like that, he probably shoots par. Honestly, at, 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 at like yeah, this he anyway. Close. Yeah. That's inter- that's interesting though. Yeah, it would be. It, I just thought it was. I couldn't believe that they were favored, but I don't know. Maybe Charles is that bad. There's some interesting matchups on Pavada. Uh, they're they're not a ton, but um, Denny McCarthy's minus one twenty five over Matt Kuchar. Yeah. That one's fun. You can get Charles Howell even money against Brendan Todd if you're just uh, in the in the fading Brendan I Todd business. The, I am in the fading Brendan Todd business. <laughs> that is that business is booming right now. <laughs> uh, you got Doc Redmond minus one fifteen over Ian Poulter. This seems like an Ian Poulter yeah, type course though. So I don't know if I love that. Uh, walking Neiman versus Harris English. Yeah, I don't love that. Um, like you know, I like both those guys. So 
It's weird. Like, matchups are interesting in that, like, a lot of times guys that you like get matched up against other guys that you like, and you have to figure out where you're taking yep. your stand, and it's, like, a good thought process for your rosters. I agree. I agree. Because, oh, man, you get Sam Burns versus Taylor Gooch, both just minus 110. Uh, like, that's... Oh, you get Maverick McNeely minus 120 over Sink. But Sink's been playing some pretty good golf yeah, recently. Yeah, Sink's played pretty well. He tends to play, like, these resorty style courses, shorter courses better, too. Uh, I mean, he missed his last yeah. cut in Houston, but he also had... Different yeah, type of course, though. A, yeah. Much harder, he much harder course. He also had a win and a fourth in his last three starts before that. So, like, I don't know. It's just a longer, tougher course for Stuart Sink. What's interesting, Taylor Gooch is minus 125 over Mackenzie Hughes, despite being in the same price range. So that's kind of interesting. Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, I, I feel that in matchup-wise, books don't tend to like Mackenzie Hughes as much as... You know, DraftKings pricing uh, tends to. Yeah, I think I just think he's volatile. Yeah, and and, and volatility in matchups um, tends to drop your prices, right? So like there are there are plenty of instances if you look at matchups over the course of the last two months or so, where like if Bryson's in a tournament, he'll he's favored to win the tournament over everybody. But then you come into matchups and everybody's favored against him in the matchup because it's you know the volatility leads him to win the tournament more often maybe than they do. But in the head-to-head matchup, if he doesn't win, he's finishing in, like, 40th or missing the cut. Where, like, you know, if Justin Thomas, Dustin Johnson will win the tournament, they're still finishing top 20. And so, volatility comes into matchups in a place where, like, you may have better odds to just outright win it or finish top 5. But over the course of, you know, 100 simulations or whatever that these guys play, the 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 flatter, like, more consistent type guys like Rom, DJ, Rory are always going to have an advantage in these matchups. Yep. Uh, yeah, it's definitely it's definitely an interesting uh, thought process for sure. Yeah. All right. So let's let's uh, head into some some final picks for the week. Who who is your who's your yeah, big yeah, fade yeah, for let's... the week? Who who are we just avoiding that you think is going to be highly owned? Since I did so good at this last <laughs> week, um... <laughs> this it's a tough question because I I do like a lot of the guys that I presume will be chalky this particular weekend. Kevin Kisner, I think, is that guy. For interesting, me okay. I don't, I, yeah, I, it'll be interesting to see where Kisner's ownership comes in, because he's like the tier below, you know, these upper 8,000, low 9,000 guys that I think are going to eat up a decent amount of ownership, and then he's like the next guy um, down there with Harmon, so it'll be interesting. Uh, I think, for me, I think I'm just going to avoid Tyrrell Hatton this week. I think he might eat up a, a decent amount of ownership last week and, and I I just don't I don't know I don't have enough information about Terrell Hatton like I know he plays well in tough tournaments but I don't know if these places where you have to go like t- minus 20 to win um what kind of win equity he has here so I'm gonna I'm gonna go with Terrell Hatton there um who's who's drawing you in who do you think might go a little bit lower owned um but you think is is going to be able to to give you a little bit of advantage on the field You know, uh, I have to say, the more the more that I, I look at it, I think I think it's Maverick McNeely. I like what he's doing. Um, I like his uh, style of play for this course, and I, I like his talent. I actually think you might have uh, talked me into Maverick McNeely for this to be my play as well this week. I I, I, I hadn't really, like I, said, I hadn't even been looking at him, but I really like how he's been playing the last couple weeks. Ball striking's kind of coming back. The the putter is, is as we know, always phenomenal. So I, I kind of like kind of like Maverick Neely as well this week. I think I'm with you there. Uh, Nicholson play. What do you got? What are you gonna sprinkle a little bit too much on? 
Oh, for sure it's gonna be Cam Davis. To oh God! <laughs> I might put like thirty dollars yeah, on that's, it. That's a little. That's a little. That's a little stupid. too much. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's just Webb all the way across across the board. I don't know if I'm gonna bet him to win, but I, if I can get him on any sort of top ten odds, I really like. I'm gonna start rosters with him because I, I I think he has the the most win equity. This is a Webb track, so I really like really really like him this week. Um, and you know he basically has to win the tournament to pay himself off, no matter how I'm gonna play him. So we're gonna be looking for that uh, pretty heavy this week. And so with that, I will hide it no more. My winner for this week is is Webb Simpson. I, I think it just makes complete sense. It wouldn't surprise me if somebody a little bit lower won it. I guess my second pick is gonna be Sebastian Munoz, but I, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Webb Simpson won this tournament this week. That's what I got. Yeah, I'm I'm also with you on the Webb pick. Um, and then if I had a second pick. I think I would go with Cousin Burns. Yeah, I, yeah, I, I actually really, really like that. That, that putting's got to turn around at some point, right? He's, he's, a, he's a phenomenal putter, and if his ball striking is, yeah. is anything close to what it's been, I think he's going to find himself in, in the final group or the, the next to last group at the end of the tournament this week. So I, I really like that Sam Burns pick as well. And it's the same thing. It's the same reasoning with Redmond. You know, these guys are going to win tournaments, and it's just about being on them when they're, uh, you know, I, I want to be there when they win. I want, I want, to, I want to hold that trophy with God, Sam. Oh, can you imagine all and I, I, all I, of I, you just being at the family reunion lifting Sam's trophy up together? Wow. I, I know. Yeah, I mean, I want him to bring it home for Thanksgiving I, oh, this year. Oh God! Can you just imagine? Imagine him cutting the turkey. Slice up the turkey with one of the handles from the trophy from the RSM Classic. What a what a what a week for you all. <laughs> what a week. Thanks for tuning into the In the Bag podcast. If you want to interact with the show, you can find us on Twitter at In the Bagcast, Slaughter at Slaughter, and myself at James Paul Four. You can also leave comments, rate, subscribe, whatever you'd like, wherever you get your podcast, you can find us there. Good luck to all of you this week, and we hope you'll tune in again next week to make sure you have the right clubs in the bag. Thanks again. Stay safe.